All right, Justin, sing me a song that just warms your heart. Mm. I'll make it easier. Sing me a song that just makes you feel good. Man, there's so many that nothing is coming to mind. Um, let's see. Uh, man, come back to me. Man, there's no coming back to you. <laughs> <laughs> it's now or never, Justin. You got this. You got this. Wow. Nothing is coming to mind. Like <laughs> Just a, a song that gives you positive vibes. Anything like that. Just anything. The song you come out to when you wrestle. How about that? No cheating, Heather. Oh, my bad. My bad. My bad. Yeah, well, you know, it's Kanye West. I mean, yeah, that, that song makes me feel good. Um, yeah, so we'll go with that. Uh, I don't know, Power by Kanye West, you know. I'm living in the 21st century. Do it something mean to it. Do it better than anybody you ever seen do it. Scream from the haters. Got a nice rig to it. I guess every superhero needs his theme music. No one man should have all that power. There you go. Nice. All right. At first, I wasn't going to give it to you because A, Heather cheated and you shouldn't benefit from her breaking the rules. And B, because you were just saying the name of the song. And I was like, none of that counts. And then you sang it. And fuck, I love me some Kanye. So you get a win on that, Justin. Oh, it just edged it out. Oh. I mean, I'm a sucker for I... that. You start rapping some Kanye. I'm not going to not give you a point. I Honestly, that's probably the one way to break the system. If anything <laughs> I give you and you just sing some Kanye instead, I will probably end up giving you a point. Just for the sheer fact that it's hard for me not to give a point in that scenario. Yeah, I mean, how could you hate on that line, though? I mean, those lines are tight. That that line about screens for the haters and every superhero needs his theme music. That was just, man, that was raw. Man, on but top anyway, of that, yeah, I digress. As we as we talked about in our one hundredth episode, that album to me is a perfect album. On top of that, that song is from a perfect album to me. Yeah, that album is the shit. So I mean, I just. You're going to get a point for that. I just as much as I don't want to, I begrudgingly do so because that was my I mean, that's pretty much my metaphorical music game kryptonite. You sang some Kanye. So I'm like, <laughs> all right, well, that's a point then. Oh, Heather, your turn. I'm all grumpy. Oh, no, you're very grumpy <laughs> about that. Um, OK, feel good song. You said, right? Yes. Hey, I just met you and this is crazy. So here's my number. So call me, maybe. Okay, that's cheap, too. Because I love me some Carly Rae Jepsen, too. You guys are cheating tonight. <laughs> it's a good song. Oh, you're cheating. Ding, ding. It's a very happy song. I know, but still, like, I feel like I am the only person in the world that will still bop to that song. Because I'm still not tired of it all these years later. Mm. <laughs> and it's great. it just... I feel like y'all are cheating. That's all. I feel like you guys have been texting each other all week being like, <laughs> hey, how can we rig this game in our favor from now on? And let's cheat at it. <laughs> I feel like there's collusion and conspiracies afoot. <laughs> I mean, you Maybe get a we point. we just have good taste. still. No, nope, man, fuck that noise. Y'all have good taste. Been oh boy. fucking this game up. <sighs> <laughs> oh, no. Man, y'all are like ruining this game for me now. Because I had to give you guys points last week, too, with Tamara. Man, I don't like this game no more. You guys all getting points and shit. <laughs> it's not fun when you guys get points. 
I I would disagree. I appreciate getting points because I have very few. I mean, still no. I don't know. I mean, it's okay. I, man. I think We're I just still have. Right, like I think I still only have like ten, like ten wins of all of the ones we've done. So <laughs> you are not in in any alarm of me edging anyone out in this game. I disagree. And I don't like it. Any win is too much. I know. Exactly. The fact that you guys have any points bothers me, let alone both of you winning in the same episode. That makes it even worse. (laughs) I mean, that's like Justin's like, here's a wound and Heather's like, here's some salt in it. (laughs) (laughs) You just got to respect the role, man. We're on a roll. And I mean, you know, you just got to accept the role when it happens. You know, it doesn't matter what kind of role it is. A cinnamon roll when Optimus <laughs> Prime says Autobots let's roll an action roll in a movie. There really is no bad role. So when you're on a roll, you just got to respect the role. That's all I'm saying. That's not true, Justin. Have you ever been to a <laughs> restaurant where you get like a cold, stale dinner roll, but you've got no <laughs> sauce for your in your food? Like your food doesn't have a sauce component to it to soak up anything with. So it's just a cold, stale roll. It's a bad role. That has never happened to me in my entire life. How could anybody do that? It happens. I've had that happen. Justin, you're telling me you've never got a cold, stale roll? No, man. It's always hot and fresh. No, I've had some where it's just like it's cold and it's like it's like a rock. Like you can't even bite into it. I've had that happen before. What kind of bougie ass fucking restaurants are you eating at, sir? Never got a fucking cold roll before in your life. And you're older than us. You all sit there in the bourgeoisie and shit. I mean, I've just been one of the fortunate people who has never had a bad roll, a bad bread roll. I mean, I'm just saying, Justin, like, I mean, that's like some Marie Antoinette type shit where you're like, let them eat cake. That's just like disrespectful with your bouginess. Like that's that that's that elite shit that us common folk don't like. But now you know where I'm coming from, man. Maybe that's just my, you know, that's like my Brigsby, man. You know, just my entire life. I could always (laughs) depend on that role, man. That brand role. I just it was always there. It was always fresh like it needed to be. I'm not going to lie. That was a really good tie-in. I liked that. Man, fuck your tie-ins. Are you saying you're like a superhero? Like your superpower is just hot, fresh rolls? Like it's like a passive superpower, like Domino, where she's just always lucky. You just always get hot, fresh rolls. It's true. I've never had a bad roll. He said in his life, too. He said, never in my life. That is crazy. Now, I will say this. You said you've never had a bad roll before and even mentioned other rolls other than the, you know, the bread rolls, though. But I know one specific roll that you had that was bad, sir. What was that? All right. Let's go back, back in time. Oh, no. When we were working at a at a place called Wallace Theaters and you and me were playing this video game on a on one of those throwback consoles also known as the Nintendo GameCube. Oh, no. And we were playing this game called Soul Calibur 2. And, Justin, you were 
the dandiest of dandies with your lizard man. Yes, and I it was, was the, it was the dandelion uh, lizard man. And he was the dandiest because that motherfucker looked just like a dandelion. Mm-hmm. And I was this young Hyrulean named Link. Oh, God. And I know you know what I'm talking about. Because at one point in that match where I more or less accidentally perfected your ass was nothing but a bow and arrow. Because at one point in that, you tried to roll towards me with that (laughs) lizard man roll. And your ass still got hit with that arrow. I don't know how that happened either. And that was on the path to my one of my greatest rounds of Soul Calibur. Like I said, when I perfected your ass with nothing but a bow and arrow. Oh, man. And that, sir, was a bad roll. Man, my life is ruined. Thank you. I'm just saying. It might <laughs> not be the lie. same. It might not be the same as never having not hot, fresh rolls when you go to dinner. But it's the small victory I'll take knowing that I know of at least one bad roll you have had. That might be the only one, man. I can't. There is no other bad roll I've ever had. That, that's got to be the only one. Because that was during your time also when you would do that roll attack with Lizardman. You would say, action roll. Yep. <laughs> and I probably wouldn't have thought of that story if you hadn't brought up action rolls in your little diatribe against me. But come on. I mean, most rolls are good rolls. You got to admit that. Man, that just makes me think you haven't played enough Devil May Cry because you would have <laughs> accidentally action rolled into a fucking enemy in that game. <laughs> like in the first game, yep. when you end up fighting like three shadow cats at once, I know your ass would have had to accidentally roll into one of those fuckers. Cause that's all they did was like, Oh, he's evading. Those- I'm going to teleport right into the middle of his evasion. Yeah. Those things sucked. Fun ass game though. Yeah. It's one of my favorite all time video games. I can't, I still can't believe you guys have had bad bread rolls. I just can't believe somebody served you a cold roll. That's un- that's so unfortunate. Huh. It's a good thing I'll never know that life. Fucking bougie-ass motherfucker. <laughs> Sitting up here with that Gucci life with fucking rolls and shit. <laughs> I'm going to make it my mission to find the worst dinner rolls in all of Chicago <laughs> land. No, don't, don't so do So the next this. time you come up here, I'm going to be like, man, we have to eat at this restaurant. They've got the best food. Just knowing they will give you garbage rolls. <laughs> oh, no. No. And you won't know it. You'll just be like, man, look at these rolls. And you'll grab it and you're like, man, this is a little bit cold to the touch. But that's just the outside. I bet that ex- that interior is just so warm and ready. And then you're going <laughs> to open up that roll, put a little butter on it. And you're going to be like, man, that butter didn't melt at all. It's okay. I bet there's nothing to worry about. And you're going to take that bite. And then I will see your soul drain from your body before my very eyes. And it will be glorious. If you did that to me, I'm being I'm on the next plane home. Don't ruin my perfect role. Don't ruin it. Your perfect role role. Justin, (laughs) Mm -hmm. my perfect role role, my perfect role of roles, if you will. You can't say you've really lived until you've had at least one shitty bread roll, dude. I'm just helping you I, get that well-rounded life. I don't think uh, I make need you more that relatable. Life, you know, 
that's like, oh, you won't, oh, you, you, you don't, you just won't understand being on fire until somebody sets you on fire. I don't need that in my life. Just like I don't need a bad role. Yes. Set me on fire. Yes, as I'm hell. just trying as a to matter say. Fact, set me on fire before you give me a bad role. Oh Justin, my! <laughs> I'm just trying to make you more a man of the people. I'm just trying to make it to where when you're rocking that baby face and you go out to the ring and you're a man of the people, you connect with them even better. You'll be cutting promos being like, man, I've eaten a cold dinner roll. I know what the struggle is They're like. You're going to feel that struggle in your performance and in your in your wrestling, you know? No wonder that promo didn't go over well when I was like, have you ever had a bad roll? Yeah, me neither. <laughs> no wonder nobody responded to that. That's why. Yep. Yeah, because we've all had fucking bad rolls. You're all sitting over there like a member of the Illuminati with hot, fresh rolls all the damn time. <laughs> <laughs> Although I will say if we do that to Justin, it's going to be a huge step down in like the great food that we had last time Justin was in Chicago with that steak. Oh, yeah. That was wonderful. Oh, I don't think you understand. Justin's despair will flavor my food. <laughs> yeah that's that would the be the best damn meal i've ever eaten <laughs> i actually um, believe that yeah his pain will heat my cold stale dinner rolls into the fresh hot rolls that he claims he always gets <laughs> <laughs> yes that would happen how the fuck are we having this conversation right now what is I this? I honestly don't even know how we got here. <laughs> what is this? We're, we're fucking cueing the music. <laughs> hey, Cinefans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. I'm Sterling. And as always, I'm joined by Heather and Justin. And today we are doing a movie off my essential list. Yes, once again, we're doing one off my essentials list. We are talking about mother fucking Brigsby Bear. We will talk about what we like, didn't like, and everything in between with that movie. With non-spoilers, recommendations and scores, and then spoilers afterwards with time codes in the description to let you know which section we are in. But first, we will, we do want to talk about real quick some of the uh, bigger movie news that has come about, which uh, is HBO uh, or well Warner Media owned by AT and T, which also then owns HBO and Warner Brothers and all that other stuff, announcing that the uh, like seventeen movies or whatever that they were planning on releasing in twenty twenty one will be going to HBO Max and theaters on the exact same days. So if you are in an area that does not have HBO Max, like a foreign country or something like that, and your country is open with theaters and stuff like that, you'll be able to go to the theater and see it. Uh, or it'll be on, and like in America, it will be in theaters that are open and HBO Max at the same time. With also, I think, room, like after like four weeks, something like that is then when it will go digital. So it'll be on like, like your on demands or your iTunes or Google Play to buy. So with that big announcement, though, there's also been some backlash. And by backlash, I mean from one of the more prominent directors that has a deal with Warner Media, in the form of Christopher Nolan, who has come out and said that more or less that 
HBO Max is now a shitty streaming service. I think he said the worst streaming service out there now. And that this decision in general doesn't make any sense to do. And so I just kind of want to get y'all's thoughts on that real quick. Because I sure as fuck got some thoughts about it. So one of you two, tell me some thoughts. Um, Yeah, when you first told me about this story, I hadn't just heard this through just my regular grapevine or just regular news that I look at. So whenever you told me about this story and I what I I decided to read the article and then I kind of went online to just kind of get a pulse, I guess, of what different people were saying, how people were reacting to his comments and things like that. And um, I don't know, I guess in some ways it's kind of a tale of two sides because you have the people directly involved with the film industry and stuff like that and directors, filmmakers, distributors, the just and all of that that's linked to the movie theaters and how they're affected by this. And then you kind of have the side of the consumer, which I guess would be us being that we're not on that uh, side of things. So, you know, so so it's kind of hard to speak from Nolan's perspective, just not knowing what exactly all of this or how this affects him in that way. But just from a consumer, whenever the announcement was first made, uh, I, I definitely had some thoughts about, you know, whenever they announced that all these movies were going to be coming to uh, HBO Max and streaming services and stuff like that. And I'm not going to lie. Um, you know, I guess the, the, just the average consumer in me was like, Oh, cool. I'll get to watch all of these movies on the streaming service. I don't have to worry about going to a movie theater. If I don't want to, I'm going to have that option to be able to stream these movies. Okay, great. That's awesome. Cool. And then But there was the part of me that was kind of bittersweet. And I was like, man, could this be like the beginning of the end of, you know, movie theaters? Is this like a step in that direction? And it's very ironic because we on one of our episodes was talking about kind of the future of film. And one of the things we kind of talked about is the, would we ever, would there ever be a day where you, you don't have to go to the movie theater or that will movie theaters always kind of have that significance. And we all kind of agree. Well, if something like that were to happen, it's a long way off. And ironically are we now staring that possibility in the face so you know that's a very real thing and that is you know uh, so a part of me is like well well we'll adapt to it like you know we've had to adapt to so many things uh this year and the pandemic and 2020 just everything everybody is kind of in an adapting uncomfortable phase right now uh but there is something bittersweet about that, man. Like, like, you know, could this mean that going to the movie theaters may end? And when you look at somebody like Christopher Nolan and where he's coming from, from what I understand, this news came like he was told. And then a half hour later, they 
made the announcement that this is what was going to happen to these movies. Like, for what I understand, there were several people on that side of things that there wasn't a consultation. They didn't really know that, like, this was kind of thrusted upon them very quickly. So this feels like a person who is just kind of lashing out. Do I agree with his take? No, n- not completely. Like, especially the part about like, what are they doing? And, and HBO being the worst streaming service, that just sounds like he's really in his feelings. But I mean, you know, I mean, I think that the majority consensus is, is that HBO Max is probably one of the better streaming services. I mean, I, I don't think there's any debate as far as the quality of shows that are on it, the collection of things that are on it. So that comments, uh, you, you can just tell that that is a comment out of anger of the situation and everything like that. Uh, It doesn't help Christopher Nolan because what it makes it seem like, whether he meant this or not, uh, uh, the the post that I'm getting from people that have just reacted to his comments, it sounds like he's just a greedy, you know, what the, the majority of people, what I'm hearing people say is this is the reaction of a greedy Hollywood uppity type who's just angry that some of the money that could potentially be made by releasing these movies in a theater is not going to be made. And he sees that a lot of money is going to be lost on that side of it. And this is him lashing out in anger. But really, Warner Brothers is making a decision to keep people safe. They're giving people the option so that you don't have to go to a movie theater to see this or wait a long time to see it. They're giving people that option, which is safer for the public given the pandemic. So the whole, this is a bait and switch by Warner Brothers and you know, it doesn't make a lot of economic sense that these just kind of sound like the ramblings of somebody who's looking at their pocketbook and not really looking at the public. So unfortunately, that's how this comes off. You know, I, I think anyway. Heather, what about you? Yeah, I mean, my understanding is that a lot of people in Hollywood were a little bit um unhappy with this idea but you know christopher nolan more so (laughs) than most but i think the way that i'm viewing it right now is we don't know how long this is going to last how many movies had to be put on hold or not be released because of what's going on in the world and if the whole point was you know, like we want to have it in the box office and we want it to make money and whatever that may be. Even, even when this all, you know, resides and all of it kind of gets a little bit better and things start to open up. If theaters open up again, I mean, how many movies were put on backlog to be released? So if he's, if they're thinking, you know, Oh, we want it to release in theaters because we want it to get that money. I mean, you're still splitting that movie with so many other movies that might be coming out at that same time anyway, because of how many movies are yet to be released that were ready. So I don't, I don't really, I mean, I get that 
obviously the movies you make, you want to make a profit off of that. You want to make money off of that. I totally understand that. But also, I mean, what are movies for? They're for the entertainment of people to enjoy. And with everything going on in the world, I think it's a brave move. And I think it's a really cool move that they're doing this, that HBO Max is doing this because, I mean, it's a way to still feel like there's a sense of normal. And I don't know how much Hollywood really cares about that aspect, but from the aspect of where I'm sitting as just an everyday person who loves to watch movies, loves to watch new movies, it's a it's a safe way to still be able to do that and still feel a little bit of normalcy that, hey, there's new movies coming out and I could still see them and enjoy that and enjoy getting out of this crazy real world for a little bit and enjoy something else, you know, and I, I don't know, like, it's not like I completely think, you know, he has no grounds to be a little bit upset just because of the sense of, you know, like, I I understand his concern is what I'm saying. But I just think that (laughs) he's, he is in his feelings. Like Jason said, I think he's in his feelings with it. I think he's being a little bit, um, can't really think of the word for it, maybe arrogant about it or just really it's it's all about him and kind of how he said it is what it sounds like and Mm -hmm. i think that's the problem it sounds like it's it's not really like he's concerned about literally anything else i mean they could say you know hey we're gonna put everybody else's movies in hbo max and just yours in theaters and he it sounds like he probably wouldn't complain (laughs) you know and i don't know him and i don't know any of that but it just that's the vibe i'm getting from you know, his reaction to this is, but mine should be in theaters is kind of what it feels like. So it's, it it just kind of makes it more of a one-sided conversation of, is this really about everybody and what's best for everybody? Or is it just kind of what's best for you, you know? And I don't know. So I, that's kind of how I feel about it. I think it's a bold move, uh, but I think it's a, a brave and a kind of cool move because, Unfortunately, right now, that is the new normal is streaming services and getting your content there because you, you do you want people to go out into the world where it's crazy and, you know, them risk, hey, I died in order to watch your movie, you know, <laughs> like you just I mean, what's the risk? What's the give and take? You know, like, do, does the what is it? The means uh, outweigh the, the just, does it justify the means? You know, it's, it's, I, I don't think that it does. And I think that what HBO max is doing is kind of a, this is kind of a best case scenario for what's going on in the world right now. So. I think there is this double-edged sword, like Justin was talking about, because we all agreed, like we don't want movie theaters to die, but right unfortunately 2020 has proven that you don't always get what you want (laughs) and and with this as as much as i don't want movie theaters to die and as much as i'd love to see these movies in theaters and stuff like that it's just what is the reality of 2021 gonna be you know halfway through the year maybe after this vaccine and all this other stuff maybe it'll be fucking taken care of maybe it will be safe to go back to the movies then and you know what Maybe the movies they release in the second half of the year, maybe there's a chance I go see them in theaters then instead of on HBO because we'll have that option. But like Heather was saying, how many movies are fucking like 
essentially sitting there waiting to be released right now. You know, if you release all these movies that we're going to release in 2021 or 2020 and just some of the movies you were planning on releasing in 2021 anyway, you're going to you're going to cannibalize your own profits anyway. If movie theaters just went ahead and released all the movies they were they could release in 2021 like they were planning to and the movies from 2020 and the rollover from 2020, the movies that were already pushed, like planned to be pushed and all this other stuff. There'd be so many movies coming out that just none of them would really break big because you would have no time to breathe because there'd be like two or three must see movies a fucking weekend. And outside of a few crazy people like us, sometimes who's really going to fucking do that in a normal year, even if take COVID out of it, who's really going to do that? But then you add in the reality of what COVID's going to mean for a minimum of the first three to four months of the year anyway. You're double fucked. And so what's the best way to handle this? And that's to make what money you can. And what's the best way to do that? For HBO slash Warner Media slash all that to already take the money they've already spent on this movie and just throw it on HBO Max that they already own. So they're not doing anything else. They're not spending more money or anything like that. They just put it on their stuff. And then they make their money back through subscriptions. Because honestly, what's going to get you more subscriptions? This is going to be some must-see content. So what's going to happen? People are going to get subscriptions. Guess who's not going to be canceling their subscriptions all the damn time during this time period now? Normal people, because you've got like 17 fucking movies coming out in a year. 17 movies over 12 months coming to your streaming service. Nobody's going to be canceling their subscription. Because honestly, that subscription literally pays for itself at that point. Then you build up all this goodwill, and guess what? People are keeping their subscriptions a year, two years down the line. They're more likely to keep it because you essentially did them a solid. That's goodwill. And honestly, it's one of the most selfish yet understanding things I've seen a company do in a long time. Like, it is 100% selfish that they're doing that. I get it. But at the same time... It's one of those mutually beneficial selfishnesses because while they're being selfish and getting out the shit they need to, to make the money that they can make, they're doing so also with the understanding of what people are going to want. $15 a month is a huge savings versus taking like two people to a movie theater. Yeah. Even just once a month to get 12 of these 17 movies. If you saw 12 of these 17, so once a month, you're still saving money. And honestly, with the amount of people that are out of work and living on unemployment or this and that, or like living on, on jobs that pay less than what they were used to because they got whatever job they could after getting laid off or furloughed or something like that. That's usually beneficial to just in general people. That's also respectful of the people that are, don't want to take that risk because some of them, some people can't like, if you're, you know, got an immunodeficiency or something like that. You can't, you can't risk going to a movie theater. And so now they're, it's, they're, they're telling you, well, you're still good enough to see our movie. But if you are someone that still wants to go see a movie and you've got a movie theater open in your area and you still feel like you can do it, you still have that choice. You can still go to the movie theater and see that movie. And also Say you don't want to get HBO Max. Say you're like adamant about not getting another streaming service. You're then able to buy the movie on iTunes four weeks after it would come out. 
which is a way quicker turnaround than movies typically would do in theaters and stuff. So there's that, you know, that trade-off too, you know? And I just think that's a better understanding of what's going on. I think 2021 will be a weird year, especially for movies. But I'm hoping 2022 is different. I'm hoping this is only for 2021. I'm hoping that in 2022, they're not doing this anymore. The HBO Max just goes back to normal HBO Max. I'll still have it. Don't get me wrong. I'm dumb and have like all the streaming services, so I'll still be paying it. (laughs) But I will want to be back in the movie theater. Right. But we just have to be real right now. And as much as Christopher Nolan's like, oh, this is dumb and it makes no sense. Like he's like, it makes no financial sense. And everybody knows that. No, it does. Because do you know what makes you more money than not actually getting people to pay for something you're doing? You know, if you just let milk sit on the back shelves of a store that nobody can get to and then you go, oh, man, we're not making money on this milk. Well, yeah, it's because nobody can get to it. They can get to this. And also AT or Warner Media is being fair to some of the actors and stuff like that with this movie that have like profit sharing contracts and stuff like that. I don't know what the deal is for most of these movies, but for Wonder Woman uh, 1984, it comes out uh, this Christmas, which is the first of these movies doing this stuff. They are going to pay out bonuses to people that have contracts with like guarantees of of box office sales and stuff like that. They're going to pay off those bonuses basing it on just assuming the movie would have made a billion dollars at the movie theater, which is fair because the first Wonder Woman did. So they're just assuming that it would have made a billion dollars at least, and they're going to pay out bonuses based on that, which is fair. Mm, Yeah. Now, do I know if they're doing good? Yeah. I don't know if they're doing that for all of 2021 of all those movies. But I mean, the fact that especially on the what the ones that would be bigger. Yeah, I think they will. You know, with your bigger stars and stuff like that, I bet they will. You know, I know Legendary, which co-produced Godzilla versus King Kong with uh, Warner Media. I know they're having issues with it because they're like Netflix offered us $250 million to put it on Netflix. And they're like, well, you're not getting any of that now because it's just going on Warner and they're mad about it and all this other stuff. But (laughs) the problem is, is they're acting like Godzilla versus King Kong would have made a lot of money. And I think that's a big risk because this movie got greenlit before Godzilla King of the Monsters. And if you want to know how we felt about that fucking movie, go listen to mine and Justin's episode about it. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Not that damn good. Yeah, that. And the box office wasn't that fucking good either. It lost fucking money. So I think you take the win. Now with Christopher Nolan also talking about this stuff, I also don't think he really realizes the bullshit he's spewing out of his mouth. Because... His movie is one of the reasons why they're fucking doing this because he was so (laughs) fucking adamant that Tenet come out in theaters that no matter what it had to come to theaters, had to come to theaters, had to come to theaters. So it was pretty much the one big movie that came out in theaters and it took it like three months of being in theaters for it to still not break even. Right. So they put it in theaters to still fucking lose money. So there's like, what sense does that make fucking Christopher Nolan? Like, it's it's like you guys were saying, the fucking hubris with that bullshit is astounding. It really just shows how fucking out of touch he is with reality. Like, I get it. 
He wants the movie-going experience to be magical. We all do. We talked about how we fucking love that. But it's like Heather said, is that worth somebody's fucking life? Is Tanette worth somebody's life? Fuck no. Maybe in her, uh, what is it? Maybe Inception. Not no fucking tenant, dude. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's just also just indicative of how this whole pandemic and just the effects that it has, how it affects different people. You know, you have your people who have, who overreact. They are adamant on a stance and they you know, shout and yell and they, they have just the most difficult time uh, coping with this or having to adapt or adjust or not being able to have contact or change, you know, whatever the case may be, Uh, you you know, you're going to have people like that. And then you're going to have people who, um, who roll with the punches. There's another roll reference, roll with the punches (laughs) and just, uh, you know, essentially adapt as best they can. And yeah, it's going to be hard. You're going to complain sometimes. You're going to be like, man, I don't want to do this, but it's a must. It must be done. This is what the, the, this is the America. This is the place, the country that we live in at this time. And the, there comes a point where everyone has to come to that realization. And I guess, you know, just, look at just listening to these comments. It just sounds like he is one of those people that is having trouble adapting to change. Like you said, he was adamant that the movie come out in theaters. He wants things done a certain way and he feels like his movie needs to be presented a certain way. And it's just a a very stubborn take and a time that is where, you know, the very nature of this pandemic is demanding that we be flexible and he's not wanting to do that. He's running from that, but eventually this will be something that even he will have to accept, but making public comments like this, this is just, uh, you know, you got to think before you speak sometimes and he's having a reaction just to how he feels in the moment. But, you know, him saying this just doesn't make a lot of economic sense. Well, what is the solution then? What do you propose they do man and and that's why this looks bad because if he had presented some other option and said well why don't they think about doing this and he had laid out some other way to do this that was safe or that people would have access to it or what he felt was good you know I might have a more open ear to him but it sounds like he's saying that they all should have just came out in the theaters and if you're saying that man then it's just like you said Sterling you're asking people to just risk their lives to come see their movies because that's what you want and and like Heather said so it just sounds like it's all about you you know what is the other option for these movies man Come on, man. Well, I mean, people are losing losing their lives. People are losing their businesses. People are losing their livelihoods due to all this. And he's complaining that his movie won't look as good because it's on a smaller fucking screen with less better sound. Come the fuck on. Everybody's going through it, man. Everybody. 
So he's just one of those people that reacts in this way. And and we've seen a ton of them, even on a smaller scale. And like you said, everybody's lost something, man. Everybody. I mean, it's, it's one of those things like we would all rather it be different. Like, I mean, even with my job, because I am an essential worker, I had to work every fucking day through all this, through especially in Illinois lockdown, which was infinitely fucking more hardcore than some of these other states. I worked every fucking day through all that. And I'm talking about out. I was not like working from home at all during any of that. I would have much rather fucking been safe and been at home. But that's my job. I knew what my job was going into it. That's my job. I was doing that. I was out. I was doing my work. We'd all much rather things be different. Like, yeah, would I rather see fucking movies in a movie theater? Sure. I'm fucking lucky that I haven't gotten this shit considering, like I said, I've been out this whole time. So do I want to risk getting that shit just to go see a fucking movie? No, because I did it once and it wasn't that fucking fun. (laughs) Like, like it is what it was. You know what I mean? It's we all have had to adapt and it's just what he's complaining about is just the weirdest shit because he even said specifically these movies deserve to be seen on a big screen get the fuck over it dude my tv screen's pretty fucking big i can accept it like i don't know it's just one of the things that like it, it goes back to one of the things we've talked about before like in our critics versus fans comments where uh you know movie critics kind of seem out of touch sometimes with like your in general audiences and stuff like that and it, it makes sense why? Because the fucking people that make the movies they watch are apparently just as fucking out of touch with shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just so damn weird. And like, I mean, some of these movies I probably would have never watched in theaters. I mean, th- th- there are there are a lot of them I would have watched in theaters, but there's some of them I probably would have just waited until it was on a streaming service anyway or on iTunes or something and just bought it there, you know? I mean, this really just reminds me of the Battle of Winterfell episode of this last season, Game of Thrones, when a lot of people were complaining that it was a very dark episode and it was hard to tell what was going on. And the cinematographer for the episode was like, well, it's your fuck you and your fucking TV's fault then, not me. Dude, if more people say it was fucking hard to see than not, maybe they got a point. I'm just maybe if your average person can't see it in the way the exact cinematic way you had it formatted to see, maybe you're fucking going a little too far then. Like, cause what's the point? Like, I understand he makes his movies for the big screen and all this other stuff, but guess what? It ends up going on a small screen at some point. Anyway, motherfucker, it's not like Christopher Nolan movies just go to theaters only and you can never watch them on a small screen ever. Like, how about you be more utilitarian and like, or not utilitarian, but like, better at your job and make it to where it looks good on no matter what screen you do it like put it on how about that crazy concept it's just it goes back to like those martin scorsese comments about like marvel movies and stuff or him ragging on netflix and shit like that and then putting a movie on netflix like you you can't be stuck on this whole like hollywood magic thing all the damn time like sometimes you have to connect with reality and understand that you know what like the world and life and people living and getting money, like making their own money and all this other stuff sometimes trumps, you know, movie magic a little bit. Yeah. 
And then there's just the whole thing of having that kind of power, because, I mean, Christopher Nolan is a movie director, you know, and that's a lot of power in and of itself. That's a lot of telling other people what to do. That's a lot of getting your way because this is your vision. This is what you want to put on the screen. You know, this is, you know, in that world, he gets everything that he wants. He's the director. If it needs to be done this way, this is the way he wants it. He's telling everybody what to do in that world. So when he works, I'm sure that's just great for him because he gets everything that he wants. And now, I mean, the shock of losing that power, even just a little bit, you know, not getting immediately what you want having to change something about how your movies are going to be released or how you do movies from something that you can't control to somebody who's so incredibly used to control that can be a tough thing to have to deal with oh that's true that's a very true thing now we have to make a weird transition into brigsby bear yeah i know we talked about that way longer than I fucking thought we were going to. I mean, don't get me wrong. I loved every second of it because I thought we got some really good shit out there. But that was a lot longer than I thought we were going to. So you guys want to talk about Brigsby Bear now? Let's do it. Ooh, that's, just a, that's just a rough transition, no matter how you cut it. Um, <laughs> yeah, Brigsby Bear. So like I said earlier, because that was like 30 minutes ago. Uh we will talk about what we like, didn't like, and everything in between. We will go non-spoilers, then, you know, recommendations and scores, then spoilers with time codes and everything like that, which there will be a time code telling you when we start this section. So just our in general <laughs> spoiler-free thoughts about Brigsby Bear. Um, I'm going to go Justin first because you're the person I don't know what you think about this movie. Okay. Um, well, yeah, uh, I'm fresh off of this movie. Just watched it. Uh, just about well now I guess it'd be about it I was gonna say minutes ago but (laughs) we we've been on here a while now so yeah more more like an hour or so ago um and yeah I did enjoy this movie Uh, and especially just after seeing so many kind of subpar movies like all at once and we've got uh, episodes coming out and you'll see what I'm talking about. But like after so what seemed like so many just kind of either subpar or just, you know, movies like that on that end of the spectrum, it, it was nice to finally see just something of quality like this. Uh, you know, this this just felt more like the stuff that I like, like there was it seemed like there was thought given to this story and script and the acting is is very well done. A lot of this is dialogue more than it is anything else. It's dialogue and it's acting and it's really just the meat and potato, which is just the meat and potatoes of this story. And it's more about that than it is about visual effects or costumes or all of those other uh, dressings that we get in just other different kinds of movies uh this very much is about the acting and it's about the story and it was nice to get back to seeing something 
like this. So yeah, it, it's a it's a very enjoyable movie. I thought that it was well acted, well scripted. Uh, definitely a movie with an interesting concept. Maybe even in some ways, some polarizing concepts, just given how you look at this. And I actually saw some reactions to this movie that were polarizing. And, uh... Yeah, I get some of that when you think about just, I guess, specific events and things that happen uh, in this movie and what it all means. But I think that overall, this is a solid movie. I like the 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 messages in this about dreams and the creativity and just uh, turning Something that happens in your life, you know, how sometimes there, you know, good things that can come from bad things. You know, there's a little bit of uh, sprinkles of all of these types of concepts in there. But I think that overall it was done. It was very well done and done in a very satisfying way. And I like this journey. It's a it's probably one of the better fish out of water, I guess you could say, stories that I've seen in a while. You know, I think that when you're thinking out of like movies of that genre or movies that cover that subject matter, I think this is one of the better ones, man. I, I really I really think it is. And just hats off to uh, some of the cast um, and Kyle Mooney, who is our fearless hero in this, uh, James Pope, um, what a great job that he did. I mean, his, and I'll get into more specifics, um, in the spoiler section, but just his mannerisms, uh, how, I mean, how he walked, how his posture in this, just how convincing he was as this person who just never, lived a normal life and all he knew and everything that he learned was just from this story that was created for him. And so he really gets that across. He really does come across as this person who just has not experienced the world and what all that means. And ironically, through him, all these other characters kind of find out that he might be the 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 most human and inspiring of any of them. So that that is a testament to Kyle's acting. So a big hats off to him, as well as the supporting yeah. cast, which was also good here. Heather, what about you? This movie for me was a pleasant surprise. And that's not to say that I expected the movie was going to be bad. I just, in general, didn't know what to expect from it. Um, but it's honestly so good. Like, the story itself is just a really, like, really great storyline. And I completely agree. I think Kyle Mooney killed this. Like, he was absolutely phenomenal in this movie. And, I mean, I just... In general, too, I think that there, <laughs> there's actually just a lot that you could break down about Kyle's character in general. Like, there's just, there's so much to unpack from that. Um, but all of the dynamics between the characters is so good. Um, 
all of the acting is on point and just the way they tell this story is, I mean, I think the best word that I can think of for it is endearing. It's a very endearing story. Um, and along with, you know, what Jason was saying about, you know, dreams and creativity and, and doing that, it's, it's a lot about hope and just believing in something. And I think that there's something really special about that because they don't do it in like this cheesy, unrelatable way. And somehow, I mean, the storyline and the characters, like, it's not like they are uh, not everything about Kyle's character is that relatable to most people, but somehow they make this story relatable to everybody in some way. And I think that that's, that really does speak to the writing and to the, the acting and how they portray these people. And, um, it's just really, it's really great. Like it just, I mean, and then there's just some, some points and some plot points and things like that in this movie that you don't expect, but also you don't know, (laughs) you just, you never know when you should be expecting these in this movie, which I also think is great. And I, I just, it's so, and it is also the way it's paced is really well done. Like you're never losing interest in what's happening in this. And it's, you know, it isn't one of those overly long movies because we've definitely had a few of those lately um, or what felt like overly long movies. And this one's not. And I think that that was also a smart choice. But just, I mean, just from beginning to end, this movie is heartwarming and you're really you really are rooting for uh kyle mooney's character in this movie and i want to say his name is james yeah his name is james pope so you're just like you just want the world for james in this movie you're just like anything that he wants to do he should totally have everything he wants like you just in a way you just fall in love with the type of person that James Pope is like, he's just a very innocent human, unreasonably understanding person, (laughs) you know, and, um, he kind of surrounds himself with people that are the same way and he kind of finds those people or they kind of find him, however you want to look at it. But it's, it's just really great writing. It's very, also like Jason said, very thoughtful writing and the characters are very, um, very well developed at least the ones that kind of really need to be. So I, I just think it's a great movie. So uh, obviously I like this movie. It's on my essentials list. Um, I think the best way to describe this movie though, is easily done with one word. And that word's heart, because like, that's what this movie has like just tons of like, I hadn't watched this movie in about a year and I kind of forgot why, because of the weird things this movie does to me, like, and it, it really kind of ties back a lot into like Princess and the Frog. Um, I have watched this movie a lot, though, because when I first saw it, I want to say it was like two, three years ago. And with that, I mean, I watched it like six or seven times within the span of a few months after watching it for the first time. Like I was just fixated on this movie and I hadn't watched it in a while until this. And like I said, I've kind of forgotten what this movie does to me, like to the exact degree. Um, I mean, I've never really talked about like this on the podcast or anything like that, but like I had a lot of issues growing up with my family 
and feeling accepted within my family and everything like that. Like I very much uh, for most of my life felt like kind of the black sheep of my family. And in a lot of ways I still do. And this movie really touches like a chord with that, like in a way that really very much like hits me right in the feels, if you will, like very profoundly. So, and like, it's one of those things that with that though, unlike princess and the frog where it makes me feel like emotional things more kind of on the realms of sadness, but not necessarily in a bad way, but it makes me feel those things. This one, it's a very inspiring aspect of it all. And yeah, I just forgot how much it really rocks me when I watch this, like towards the end of this movie. And like, like everybody said, like shout out to Kyle Mooney, who also did write the story and co-wrote the screenplay for this too. Um, so this was kind of like his baby with it all. Um, and this movie also kind of makes me dislike Saturday Night Live a little more right now. Cause then I'm like, if Kyle Mooney has this magic in him, why the fuck isn't he just dominating everything on SNL? Like it makes me sad, but this movie is very profound in a lot of ways to me. And I think one thing that really kind of ties in a lot to what we were talking about earlier with, with Christopher Nolan and his attitude towards things and all this other stuff, this movie does something and it kind of has a, a trope in movies that I that tends to typically bother me because one of the things about this movie is he is making a movie with his friends and movies that tend to deal with filmmaking tend to feel like Hollywood circle jerks to me in the end. And it's very tiresome because we've gotten a lot of those movies and Hollywood eats them up. Because they're just like, yep, it's about the process of making movies. And they just get all aroused and do inappropriate things to each other. And it's tiresome. And this movie does have that trope to a degree. Because like I said, it's about him and his friends making a movie. It's not about that, but that's a big part of the movie. And But this one simplifies it. Because it's not about, oh, the glamour of Hollywood and like and the magic of like... Or just, you know, the whole movie making thing is just this and that. It's... It's just very simple and about like the elements of joy that come with doing something like that and yeah. him being naive to how the world works in a lot of ways and has beaten down all these other people while he's experienced traumatic events in his life. He's not beaten down yet. So he has these dreams and ambitions and this hope to him. And that's what inspires his movie. His movie isn't a like, that that arc in the movie isn't as much about like the magic of making movies as much as it is the magic of what making a movie with people you love and and enjoy and and one around you what that can be just the idea of having a dream and setting out to do it with the support of your friends and family what that can mean you know it's not that typical jaded Oh, I wanted to be a Hollywood director, but now I got beaten down. Like, it's not that. It really is about the joy of it all. And that leads into what I said earlier. Just heart. Just oodles and boodles of heart. See, that's yeah. how much heart this movie has. It makes me say nonsense words like oodles and boodles. <laughs> like, it's just, to me, a very inspiring movie. It It's one of those things that if you ever feel like... You know, maybe, you know, you just don't have what it takes to make your dreams come true or something like that. 
like watching this movie, I feel like could be inspire you not necessarily to be like successful in your dreams. Like, Oh, I want to make a movie. So I want to be like the next Christopher Nolan or something like that, but just inspire you to still find a way to, you know, get the satisfaction of following your dreams in any way you can. Like, yeah, you might not make hundred million dollar, you know, Hollywood tentpole movies, but you might be able to make some fucking movies here and there, like with your friends and like with people giving you money because they just believe in you and all this other stuff, you can still do your dreams and be happy from it, even though you're not the next big thing. And I loved that about this. Um, any, any, any thoughts before recommendations and scores? No. Nope. All right, Heather, recommendation and score, go. Yeah, I definitely would recommend this movie. I mean, there's, I, I think it can speak to different people in different places in their lives. I, I just think it's really well done. Um, even for the person who loves filmmaking, you know, it's kind of like a return to like, this is why, this is why I loved it in the first place type of feel to it, you know, um, and maybe it could inspire you to be like, you know what? I miss doing that. So I should do that, you know, and it's, there's just so many good things to take from this movie about learning about self, but also just, again, that whole idea of like just being able to believe in something, you know, and it's just, it's a really, really great movie and it's a really well-told story. I'm going to give this, um, 90, dope as shit out of a hundred. What about you, Justin? Yes. Um, I do recommend the film. I think that it was very, well, like we've all said, man, it's just, it's just so well acted and it is a very inspiring, meaningful story. And it does carry, um, a message of hope and perseverance and that, you know, and just that aspect of happiness is doing the things that are important to you. And just like, you know, Heather said, um, everybody to a certain extent believes in something, you know, whatever that is, that is worth being pursued. And when you have that, that, that kind of support and things like that, you know, even if people don't quite get it as much as you, it's so important when you get that support and when you're doing what is important to you, something that you uh, b believe in, even if the circumstances that develop that belief are unconventional or non-understandable, everybody can still understand to an extent what it is to want to do something that is important to you. And I just don't, and I, and I think that, so this movie definitely has a place. And I think especially in a time like now, uh, that that's a very encouraging thing to hear. Um, especially just what the world is going through now. So yeah, I also recommend it as well. Um, I'm going to give it 87, uh, VHS. <laughs> tapes that you stick at a bear so you can watch it in its many, many volumes out of a hundred. Uh, yes, I recommend it. Of course, obviously, uh, for all the reasons everybody else said, and just cause I want to, cause I like it. I love this movie. Um, 
as far as the score goes, uh, I want to give this movie a hundred. I truly do, but I can't give like two of my essentials a hundred back to back. That would just feel wrong. I can't do that. <laughs> it's very hard. So I'm going to give this 99 uh, PSA messages about if you feel romantic feelings, only touch your penis twice a day out of 100. <laughs> uh, so spoilers, guys. Yeah. Yep. I mean, the hard thing about this movie is there's really not any real spoilers for this movie. I would say, I mean, it's not like there's a big twist or anything like that. I mean, it's just like a straightforward movie. There's not really a spoiler to go into. Um, I mean, kind of. Well, I mean, ish, but I'm just saying like, Oh, I mean, all we're really going to be able to talk about is just specific scenes. You know what I mean? Like, or at least me, that's what I'll yeah. be able to talk about. It's like specific scenes in this. Um, I mean, I guess I'll go into now, like what does emotionally wreck me in this movie? Uh, so it's, it all starts when like they're in that group therapy session after, uh, after the explosion and, uh, like Matt Walsh's character, the dad, like kind of has that mini breakdown about how, you know, when Cal, uh, when James is, or yeah, the James character is like, you know, breaks me is my life. And he's like, well, our life was searching for you for 25 years and like yeah. that whole aspect of it. And then like you really see like that toll it takes on the James character. But then when you have that scene, when his sister is showing the parents like the footage they filmed. And I mean, you can just see it on their faces in the movie of like the pain and the hurt they had from their son that they had lost for so long, still being so, I don't want to say stuck, but so like affixed on the Brigsby character, like the pain and the hurt they felt from that. Like you could see it melting away from their faces, like in that scene. And then like whenever he, he does break out of the mental institution and goes home to get his stuff. And he, he catches his family like, essentially setting up a movie set for him to like finish the movie when they're, whenever he gets out. Yeah. That got me. And you know, the dad talking about like, Oh, I know we had that list because that list was completely predicated on things that they wanted to feel like a normal family or feel like, you know, to recoup that time and not really taking into account what he personally wanted it within himself to get past all that stuff and to like, get to like, to bring them together and all this other stuff and like being like, well, you know, we had that list, but like, maybe this is what we can do as a family is like, do this thing that, you know, obviously means so much to you because, you know, they were witnessing him having fun with his friends and realizing like they were missing out on that aspect of his life just because they were so against the idea of what it was. And so then like just that whole thing and stuff like that. Oh, fuck. It wrecks me. Like it seriously wrecks me. As like somebody, yeah. like I said, that has had issues with family and not feeling like you belong within your own family uh, and stuff like that. Like that aspect of it, like hits me right in the soul because I remember so many times in my life, like of wanting something like that acceptance of who I was for my own family and just like never getting it. You know, I always felt like I would have to 
conform or change something about myself to ever get that feeling for them to accept me. I'd have to hide aspects of me. I'd have to be something else. I'd have to be something that's not me. And, you know, when his character's going through that in the mental institution and then to have them afterwards be like, no, we want you to be you like just really rocks me to the fucking core. And yeah, then on top of that, too, when you see like a lot of it, I like the message at the end. It's not that he was so like the movie was because he was just so affixated on Brigsby for the sake of what it was and like the connection he had with his essentially captors. It was very much his way of closing that chapter of his life because they say in the thing, there's like 700 and something episodes of Brigsby. And that was the only thing he had as far as entertainment went. It was them doing school, him doing chores. And then all he had was Brigsby. And so like him completing that story himself was his way of closing that chapter and to be able to, to be able to move on with his life. Like it just makes it like all those other aspects of it, like tie together so well of like why he was so adamant about doing that movie and his parents like, yeah, it's very understandable as to why his parents hate the idea of it because they don't understand why he needs to do it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's that weird, sad thing of why he needs to do it and why they hate it is kind of actually why he needs to do it even more, you know, for him to get to the point to where they will be the family that they want He's got to close out that other chapter because that's all he's ever known. And if you go into something and you only know one thing in your entire life, and then all of a sudden you're told it's something else and you don't have any closure with it, it's going to be very hard to move on. It's like in a book, if a chapter just stops in the middle of a sentence and then all of a sudden it's the next chapter. Well, if you don't right. finish that, you don't have that transition. You don't have anything to lead you into the, the, the following chapter. So how can you start the next chapter if you don't finish the last one? And I think that that's also one of the most profound things about this movie is that aspect of it, that sometimes with hurtful things in your life, yeah, you need closure because that's what helps you move on to the next chapter in your life. And even if other people don't understand what you need to do for that closure, sometimes you have to believe in yourself enough to know that's still what you need and to seek that out anyway. And I really love that message. Yeah. Also, I really think Greg Kinnear is just utterly fucking fun in this movie. I really do. I liked him in this movie so much. It's a very, very small, uh, no pun intended, role. Um, <laughs> yeah. He's so good, though. He does it very well. Like, And it also shows kind of how good of an actor he is because he's so good at acting that he's playing a character who is essentially, I don't want to say a bad actor, but like just that, oh, I was an actor young, but then I stopped that kind of overacting that you always get in those type of things. He's so good that he does all of that very believably. So, so kudos to you, Greg Kinnear. Um, that's all I'm going to say at this moment. I'm probably going to think of more. I just really wanted to tie down my emotional connections to this movie specifically with this and, uh, then let you guys talk some more and then I'll probably, you know, fill in some things here and there like I always do anyway. So, uh, uh, Justin, what about you? All right. And I like what you said there about the Greg Kinnear character, Detective Vogel. 
And I did enjoy his relationship with James in this movie. And it was kind of what you're saying about that theme of closure and just closing chapters and things like that, because Greg Kinnear's character was kind of a character who never had that closure whenever it came to acting and things like that. He just kind of left that um left that to become a detective and pursue a career and everything like that. And I just love that line that James delivers to him in that moment where he says, uh, when he finds out about his acting and he's like, well, why don't you do it anymore? And he said, well, you know, I grew up, you know, stuff. And, you know, this is something that we tell ourselves or you hear people say all the time. And that line, when James tells him, it's incredibly sad that you stopped doing something that was important to you. And he just walks away. Yeah, man, that was such a great line, man. Like like, like that just I I was like, man, dude, he really just hit the the head on the nail with that one, because like that, that is very true. So that character represented someone who needed that kind of closure with that in his life or who needed to find that measure of happiness again. And yeah, what you said about the end of the film where he can't see the final part of the film and he's like, I think I'm just going to hang out here in the bathroom uh, um, whenever one of the friends tried to get him to go see the premiere. Yeah, I have the same feelings about that, that that was the that that is the hard part of you finding that closure and letting go and making his transition. The the transition that the family was trying to get for him this whole time by forcing things on him. And like you said, doing things that they thought they needed for him and different things like that. They were trying to force this transition. But like you said, Sterling, that transition needed to happen in his home own way. And the only way was really to kind of come full circle with this Brigsby bear and finish it himself. And I love that. I love the, 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 the physical aspect of him physically finishing the movie, but the metaphoric aspect of him by finishing that, finishing that part of his life and making the transition to his new life. So all of that was very powerful just in those moments. And it was just extremely meaningful. And also just the way that this movie starts, I thought was just very well done because at first you're, you know, you're see, I just loved how they did that because you're, you're seeing an episode of Brigsby Bear. And then you realize that there's this guy and he looks older, but he's doing all of these kid things. And it's just got you. The movie has just got you wondering, okay, something's wrong, but you don't know what you just see this. What looks like an adult, uh, uh, an older male doing all of this stuff. And you're not really sure you're like, okay, well, are we going to find out that he has some kind of problem? Or are we going to find out that And then, um, you know, Mark Hamill and, um, oh my gosh, Jane Adams are acting 
pretty much like normal parents. And so you're like, okay, well, so is this a, a, like a man child? Is this something like that where like he's, you know, just, you know, um, it's, it's a child with issues and these two parents are taking care of him, you know, but and you notice that things are a little awkward. Things are a little weird, but you didn't know if they were doing this because he's that way and needs this and they're just trying to be good parents or what, you know, you're just not sure. And I didn't read a synopsis beforehand or anything, so I didn't know what we were seeing. And I just love how it does all of that. And then there's that moment where they're at the table and it looks like it's going to be one of those parent to child conversations where they're like, look, you're spending way too much time doing this. And this is, you know, you're going to ruin your life if you keep uh, all if you're all up in this Brisbane bear. And it seemed like one of those normal parent conversations when they see a child obsessed with something or something like that. And they're like, look, you need to go outside for a little bit, man. You need to stay off the video games. That's what it seemed like it was going to be in that moment. And then all of a sudden, the the, the the wife and I, and I forget exactly what the line was, but then she goes, you know, why are you spending so much time on this when you could be decoding the 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 equation of the phalanx or something that she said? And I was like, huh? Like, like that that line was. I was just like kind of confused by that line, but it was cool because like in that moment, I realized, oh man, they're, they're in on this or they're like, you know, uh, what was the intention of that? Because it just kind of threw me off a little bit. But, and then whenever, you know, the arrest happens and all of a sudden the police are there and everything like that. And then you find out, okay, he was kidnapped and everything. I was like, man, I, I just really liked how they did that. They, they could have done that in a very just basic storytelling way, but I love how they did that. I love how it started as one thing. And then you really just are pulling from context what's happening. And then there's some surprising lines and you're not really sure what the parent's angle is. And then you find out about that. So I just thought that that was extremely well done. I mean, it, it hooked me immediately and I was just along for the ride. And then when the police came up, I was like, what is going on? And I kind of had a feeling that, okay, maybe they, something's up with them. And then when you find out what what the situation was and everything like that it's uh it's really it was just really great storytelling so yeah i just thought it was um important for me to just point out how expertly crafted the storytelling was at the beginning of the film heather what about you yeah and i think i mean at least for me i didn't actually see that twist coming um I mean, and it's not, it's not like the major, I mean, it is a major plot point in the movie, but it's not one of those where that is the whole point of the movie. So I, I kind of liked how they, I mean, they give you this twist pretty quick, quickly into this movie of, you know, the people that he has known as his parents his whole life or not his parents, you know, and honestly, like that grabbed me so quickly. I was like, what? That's crazy. You know? Um, but I think, 
also just kind of to that point of like the beginning of the movie, you know, and you just see, you see James on this, you know, blog or video thing that he's doing. And, you know, one of the first things he says is um, something along the lines of Brigsby Bear never gives up. And I really liked that line because I feel like that really sets sort of the tone of what this movie is going to be about. And just kind of the way he even says it, you know, it's just like, you know, he believes that, you know what I mean? And it was just really, it was really cool. And I really liked that part. And that was kind of right at the beginning. So it kind of just, it drew me in right away because I was like, hmm, okay, this is going to be interesting. And I mean... I also agree about Greg Kinnear's character. (laughs) Like, I kind of am a fan of him and pretty much anything I've seen him in. Like, he's just a really great character in most things I've seen him in. But, you know, I think I I think it is that relationship between his character and Kyle Mooney's character that there's just something about it where just even the way that... um, Greg Kinnear is just kind of like, he looks at James and he's just like confused by him, but also delighted by him at the same time, (laughs) you know, like when they're sitting down and he has like that lunch with him. And right before he does that line, Jason was talking about, about, you know, it's sad that you gave up on something you loved. He just, he keeps looking at him like, you are an enigma. (laughs) Like you are something that I can't explain. And I think that that curiosity that Greg Kinnear has for figuring out what he's all about really is a, is a really cool thing that they put in this movie. Um, and also, yeah, like that part when he's being like this over actor and he like keeps asking to redo the scene that they ask him to be in is so funny to me. Like, I loved that scene. He's like, let me do one more. And he's like, oh, okay, cool. I guess you'll do one more. Like, he's just really into it. And I just thought that was really funny and amusing. Um, but I think also like something that I really also appreciated is his group of friends, honestly, especially his friend Spencer, who's played by, um, Jorge Lindborg Jr. I loved his character because I mean, I think everybody could kind of use a friend like that where (laughs) they're just like, he just completely like accepts James for who he is. You know, he's completely just like, no, I like you for who you are. Like he doesn't try to make him one of the cool kids or whatever. He just already thinks he's a cool guy and he's just on board for whatever. He recognizes James's passion to do this. And, you know, the fact that he knows like this tragic thing that happened to him He's not letting that define their friendship or anything, but he he realizes that that kind of is the sort of a driving force of this kind of therapeutic movie that he wants to make. And he's just totally on board for it. And he like he helps him and he kind of accepts him and he brings him into this other group of people. And it's just really cool because it, feel, it feels like a very genuine friendship. And you can kind of tell from that, even before he felt that acceptance from his real parents, he felt that acceptance from his friends, you know, and that's why he enjoyed making this movie with them so much because he felt accepted and he felt like himself and he felt like he could just be himself and it was fine. So I totally get that. And I feel like that was just those friendships that they had were really 
solid and why I liked their dynamics together. Um, I mean, and even like that, (laughs) what I do love about Kyle Manu's character is he's just so unassuming and just so innocent. Like (laughs) even in everything that happens, I kind of like how they, how they kind of created his character to, he doesn't overreact. You don't have to have that scene or that moment in this movie where he has a breakdown and an identity crisis type of thing. He's just kind of like figuring it out as he goes. And I thought that was a really interesting take on this really crazy and somewhat tragic, well, very tragic situation that he was in. And the fact that he still felt like his parents who weren't his parents were just still good people, even for, even after what they did, he's just a very, like never assumes the worst about people, no matter what. And I think that that's really awesome that they, they made his character that way. You know, it wasn't any big things or big moments of, I'm going to let you know, I'm forgiving you or anything like that. It was just, in his actions towards them or in just his like small things where he's like, you know, just trying to explain, Oh, well, you know, they weren't that bad, you know, just stuff like that where you feel like he should be pissed and he should be broken and hurt over it. And he might've been in some way. And that's what this movie and making it was all about, but just his demeanor and how he carried himself and how he was just so forgiving and just so loving towards everybody, no matter what. And just very optimistic, you know, even with his conversation with Greg Kinnear and he's like, you know, you should be, you should be acting. If that's what you like to do, just do it. You know, just very like, it's that simple, you know, do what you love to do. And he just has a very (laughs) like straightforward mindset about stuff in a very innocent and unassuming way. And it just makes him for such an interesting character. And I I just think that, I mean, I think the acceptance for him was important, but even more so because he wanted to feel normal. <laughs> you know, he wanted to feel normal even in spite of what he had done. And he didn't want that to be like how everybody saw him. Um, and I, I just think they did a really good job of kind of like you, you have this looming situation that happened to him, but the story is about moving on from it and getting back to what is my life now? What am I going to make it about? And I think that that is a really cool message in this movie. And I mean, honestly, (laughs) apart from that scene where, yeah, he comes back, he breaks out of the (laughs) place and he comes back to his family setting up this movie set for him. I just, I also, one of the scenes that got me was that bathroom scene at the end. Like he put all of this work into this movie and into making it and creating it. And, you know, it's the first time you see him seeming vulnerable in that way where he's just like, what if they don't like it? You know, he's just very nervous about it because I mean, it just means so much to him and he wanted to do it justice But also he just, he wanted it to go out with a bang. You know, he's like, this is this chapter that I need to move on from after this. And I want it to be received well, you know, so that it was worth all of this 
I guess, yeah, heartache and all of this stuff that I went through was worth it, you know? And (laughs) the fact that he didn't, he didn't sit and watch it. He didn't watch people's reaction to it. All he did was hear them at the end of it. And that was kind of heartbreaking because it's like, I could see myself doing that or other people doing that where it's like, I'm too nervous to watch. I can't do it, you know? (laughs) But, you know, it was just like, he put so much effort into it and that, that show was his life and he was too nervous to watch what he had created that everybody loved. And that was, there was just something really human and kind of just heartbreaking about that. But the fact that his friend still went out there and was like, you know, you know, he was there for him and he stepped out and he was like, you know what, it's going to be great. And, um, just that support that he had around him was really cool throughout the whole movie. And I think that's why at the end of it, he could close that chapter, you know, and you see that, um, (laughs) the Brigsby bear on stage behind everybody in the audience and he disappears. And there's just the satisfaction, um, with James where he's like, okay, this can be done now. It's cool. We had a good run, but I have these people now. I have this support now. I have more in my life than just this, even though it was a really important thing to me. And yeah, it was just really moving. And I'm going to, I think really my only like negative I could say about this is I kind of just wish they had done a little bit more after that, like shown maybe a scene or two of when they're a little bit more connected as a family and their family dynamic together, when they start doing things together now that he's back and he's done with his movie, I think that would have been cool to see. But I mean, it's not a complaint because I totally get why they ended it like they did. But yeah, I mean, I just, everything about it was very moving and very inspiring and just very endearing. And you're right. I think Kyle Mooney is being wasted as an actor in general because he's so good. And I I mean, he's funny too, but he has like legitimate talent beyond just being funny. And I just kind of wish people would put him in more stuff. So, yeah. I definitely get what you're saying though, Heather, with, with missing out on some of the stuff, because like I would have really loved to see, I don't know if I would wanted to see something after the premiere, but I would have loved to have seen, scenes where his family is helping him make the movie though because you get that scene setting up that they're gonna help him and then the next thing you get is him going to mark hamill's character for the voiceovers and then the next scene you get is the premiere you know that's what i would have loved to have seen was after they accepted him and how they were going to help him i would have loved to see those scenes you know yeah that's true I think that's what would have really benefited this because I like the way it ended because you just, you see, cause this movie's like about that chapter of his life. You know what I mean? So ending it there is fair to me. I just would have liked to have seen some of those other scenes to get more totality of that chapter. And I just think that would have added yeah. even more emotional weight to this movie. And as I'm saying that maybe I don't want that cause that might've fucking killed me. <laughs> But oh, and yeah, like also that I forgot to mention that the scene when he does go to Mark Hamill and he has him do it like I think that that was kind of a cool like profound thing, too, because for me, I took that as he has to do that. He has to confront this thing that happened 
just to have that closure. So it was important to have that aspect of going back to the original creator of this world that he's known for so long to get that closure as well. So I thought that was cool too. Yeah. And I like how they played it because it fit well with his character of James who doesn't have a lot of capacity to hate, you know, exactly as much as other people would have hated somebody that did that to him and all this other stuff. He doesn't have that, that type of personality. He doesn't really have it in him to just outright hate things. And so, you know, he had accepted within himself that that's what he needed to move on. And so he went for it, you know, and it goes back to what, you know, a lot of the message was is like, you know, Brigsby Bear never gives up. And so as much as it might have actually hurt him seeing Mark Hamill, like even though he might not have shown it or anything like that, he knew it was that necessary thing he needed and to truly get what he wanted from it to not give up on it, even if it meant something like that. And yeah, I just like the fact that it did kind of inc- like, you know, they tied that together with it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's just... um you know, when when you look at it, it, it really is just that story of, you know, like when we see people who go through trauma or different things like that, um, get attacked or whatever the case may be, you know, sometimes part of that healing process is to confront the abuser or confront the attacker or, you know, sometimes in court cases, they will the the. The, the victims will come and they'll get to say something for the convicted. Um, the offender. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, yeah, the offender and everything like that. So that there's that sense of closure. And if you think about it, that's what this was, but it was done in a very James sort of way, you know, just like you said, you know, his, he didn't have the capacity to hate or do things in that way, but it very was a, but it was a James way of confronting that person that did this to you or created this or whatever. It was in that same spirit, but it was just done in this sort of way. And I think that's what sort of makes this movie unique. And, you know, in a lot of the comments I read and stuff like that, you know, some people were like, well, for the people that get it, they will enjoy this and stuff like that. So I get some of it because, yes, you have to compartmentalize. Okay, why doesn't he feel why doesn't he hate? this guy or why doesn't he so i guess i could see how somebody could there could be people that watch this and just want something bad to happen to mark hamill or want him to say something to mark hamill or some i guess i could see how somebody could watch this and not get it i mean i think it's easy to follow but i guess i could see some of that but i like how it it really makes the presentation of this unique because everything is handled in sort of a James sort of way, which is just not conventional to what we're used to. And it does help a lot of scenes in that spirit, because even like what you were talking about earlier, Heather, when he met um, um, the, the, the fellow filmmaker, the friend at the party, typically a party scene like that in a movie like this, you know how they all end most of the time, you know, the cliche right. stereotype thing we normally see 
see with that is the weird family member comes to a party and they're weird and something happens and it's a catastrophe and somebody gets embarrassed and it just winds up being a bad experience because yeah. why did you bring the eccentric person to this gathering? But if you think about it, he made he made friends there and that doesn't. You, you know, a lot of times the way that was set up going in, it just felt like a bad idea, right? Like the sister's like, do you want to go to this party? And she kind of don't really want him to go. And he's like, well, uh, do you want me to? And he could feel that, I think. And he was like, do you want me to go? And she's like, oh, uh, of course I no, but yeah, you know, it was one of those. So the way it was set up, it just seemed like that was going to be a disaster. And even though a lot of um, kind of crazy things happened, as far as James is concerned, he never experienced what wound up happening was that he found this person who could help him get the healing that he needed. He made a friend that was going to help in that journey. So even that was unconventional because normally in a movie like this it just goes the other way you know well that was also a really great story arc too with the sister like the sister's a teenager in high school and then all of a sudden now her family's kind of famous because of you know her weird now brother that she yeah. doesn't have any sort of relationship with because it's obvious that he's never existed in her life because they said they were searching for him for 25 years and she's in high school. So she never yeah. knew a brother. And then all of a sudden now she has a brother. And now her family's kind of famous because of her weird brother and the weird situation. And she's kind of embarrassed by it and all this other stuff. And but then she finds that connection with her brother and then also helps make that connection with her parents and him. The one person that didn't have a connection from the beginning is the one that actually helps create that connection that heals the family. And, but yep. I liked how authentic that was that like, she was embarrassed of him at the party, but you know, you have the friend like Spencer and stuff like that, who is just like, well, you know, he, you know, he understood that James was weird, but just didn't care anyway. And then they developed a friendship and that's what helped, you know, the brother and sister come together was that friendship and stuff. And I just think that that was a very profound thing in this movie too, was just how authentic they played it with that sister. And I thought that that was a really great way of doing it. This movie's got layers. And even like Heather said, just no stereotypical breakdown moment or, you know, he's holding his head and the camera's spinning and he's like, oh, what am I to do? You know, it just didn't have things. <laughs> Yeah, it's that idea of less is more and yeah, just, you can still you know, feel all those feelings and not have the quintessential moments that they usually put for this. Yeah, you know, it just it didn't have a moment like that, you know, just oh, what am I to do about this? It just <laughs> it, they, they just didn't do that. You know, it just didn't. <laughs> It just didn't do that, you know, at the party. Brother, you ruined everything. You'll never be my brother. And then she runs off. You know, they just didn't do those stupid things. And and you sometimes, you know, maybe it's just that we've watched so many bad decisions made that when you see good decisions, they just, you know, in this, they just seem to stick you out like out. a sore thumb. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then it also goes back to like, 
with some of the stuff like, you know, with what you were talking about earlier, Justin, with the whole, you know, a lot of people would expect him to act angry towards, you know, Mark Hamill and all this other stuff. Like, I get that because that would be my natural reaction because I'm an angry fucking asshole. So that would have been my reaction if I was ever put in front of Mark Hamill in that situation. I'd be like, fuck you, you fucking dick. You know what I mean? That'd be my reaction. Yeah. I totally get it. But yeah, I love and in so many situations in this movie. That'd be my reaction to it. Would be fuck you, you fucking dick. But I loved how authentic they kept it to the way James would act. You know, yeah. like in that scene in the diner when he's meeting uh, one of the Smile sisters or, you know, who he perceives as that, the actress. And she's like, I found out at the same time you did what it was. And she's like, I am so sorry for that. And he's like, what are you talking about? Like, you've got no reason to be sorry. Right. Because that's who he is. Yeah. And I just loved those little things in this movie where James was yep. always James. And in a lot of ways, like Brigsby Bear is James, you know, as much exactly. as, you know, it was Mark Campbell doing all this stuff. That character is James or James in James is yeah. that character. And so it always fit with that message and stuff like that. And I just really loved how they put that together with that, that he was just so always James. And, and, it, and I think that that's what leads to what you were talking about, Justin. You don't get those stupid stereotypical moments of like him doubting himself. He doesn't doubt himself with it because Brigsby Bear doesn't doubt himself. Yeah. And I loved yeah. those things. And also going back to what you were saying earlier, Heather, about like the friendship he developed with Spencer and or Spence and stuff like that. I liked how that's kind of like a mini message for it doesn't ma matter how like weird of a thing you're into with the internet. You're going to find at least a few other people that are into the same weird shit. <laughs> yep. And you can develop your own community within that. And I liked how they did that with Spence putting Briggs Bear essentially on YouTube and other people enjoying it. They yeah, might they're not, like, this is awesome. Yeah, they might not be getting the same thing that James did out of it because, you know, that was his whole life. But they're still getting it. They're still enjoying it. They still. Yeah. It, it fosters that sense of community around something so obscure. And how, in a way, like, Very true. that's just kind of like, in a lot of ways, one of the great things about the internet is that it can be something stupid and dumb. And you think no one in the world would like that. But like with the internet, it's connecting 7 billion people on this planet in an unprecedented way. You're going to find five motherfuckers that like the weird shit you do. They're out there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yep. And they might not even know they like it yet, you know, and it's in, in, in a lot of ways, that's also like a metaphor for this movie. This is a movie that not everybody's going to like, but now because it's out there, people have a chance of seeing it. And now you, you know, you, it, it, you're still fostering that same type of sense of community around this movie. You know what I mean? I found out about this movie. I'd seen the trailer a long time ago and I was like, that looks like a seriously weird fucking movie. You have no idea what the plot is from that trailer. I will give <laughs> you that. You know, that trailer, you see James and you see a fucking weird animatronic bear costume thing. And you see it like the bear costume walking around and then you see him walk. You know what I mean? It looks weird as fuck. But then 
I heard a few different people talk about how amazing this movie was. And I was like, fuck it. I bought it and I watched it. And I was like, holy shit, this fucking movie's great. And I'm kind of right there with Heather too, because like it is surprising, but it's surprising because you just don't know what you're getting into. Yeah. You know, you're not expecting this type of movie going into it. And even if you have no expectations, you're still not expecting this. And I think that that's what one of the, like the great things about it. And it's like I said, it's kind of the mini message of this movie too. It's like, you know, you put it out there, people can see it and you're going to have people that you're are going to be able to bond over it regardless. Yeah. And that's a weirdly positive message that I'm weirdly okay with, you know, <laughs> I mean, because you know, regardless of what you like, we've been doing this for a while. And I mean, and I've known you guys for a while. I've known Justin for a very long time. And we do have different tastes and stuff. And it's just one of those things, though, that like the movie Kroll, you guys thought it was bad. I mean, you guys were wrong, but you guys thought it was bad. But it's one of those things. I guarantee there's five motherfuckers out there that feel about Kroll like I do. <laughs> yeah. And that's a great yeah. thing, you know. And it's it's only going to get weirder when we get further onto these lists because I've got movies on these lists that nobody in their right mind would have on their essentials list. And I am do or die <laughs> about these fucking movies. I mean, I mean, I'll give one. I'll give one away. Uh, it's Ghost in the Darkness with Val Kilmer and Michael Douglas. That's not a good movie. <laughs> but I'll be damned if that is not one of the most impactful movies in my fucking life. Like... I was obsessed with that movie as a as a younger person, like so much so that I was obsessed with going to the Field Museum in, in Chicago as a child, because that's where the, the skins of those lions, the real life skins from the, the lions that that movie's based on were. Wow. Like I've had a weird love for Chicago for a very long time, and it goes back to there's some lion skins here. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yeah, that's one of the things that helped develop my love of Chicago was that weird fucking thing, you know, and like I said, it's not really a good movie, but I love it. I will watch that movie all the time because it has this very impactful thing for me. And it's just one of those things, though, that like I might be in the minority of people liking that movie, but there's five motherfuckers in this world that feel that way. And I like that. And it's just one of those great things like that. I mean, both of you two, and this is not like a bad thing to you guys, but y'all picked like very good classic movies. And, you know, y'all are going to have like this, uni like you, a lot of the movies you guys chose have more universal appeal than some of the movies I did. But that's also, I think the beautiful thing about our lists is the fact that that's not the point of why we made them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there is a movie on Jastin's list that will surprise everybody. It won't if you truly know Jastin. And we've actually talked about his <laughs> like with that movie on this podcast before. I won't say what it is, but but it's great. I love the fact that you put that movie on that, that list. Uh, one of the ones that's like that on Heather's list that we did with very first one we did with American Sweethearts. <laughs> there are like 10 people in this world that like that movie. <laughs> 
and two of them do this podcast. One right. fifth of the population of the world that likes that movie are on this podcast. <laughs> but I love it. I love the fact that it's on that. And I, this movie just kind of like cements that feeling even more with that. Just because like the message with it, you know, and with, like I said, putting Brigsby Bear on there. And, and it's one of those things. It's like Jasmine was saying, Brigsby Bear looks like a shitty child show from like 1972 on like local like fucking cable access shit like it looks like the type of show that wishes it had the budget of sesame street in 1975 and he just doesn't know there's any other material it's so crazy and yeah exactly he doesn't know any different so he thinks it's utterly fantastic and it's the greatest production (laughs) ever but then other people see it and yeah they see the cheesiness in it but they just look past it because of everything else with it and certain things can do that. And I think this movie does it. It's like Justin was saying, yeah. this movie doesn't have all the bells and whistles that typically follow uh, like a, a like a, an acclaimed movie or anything like that. It doesn't have like incredible special effects. It doesn't have it doesn't have the hugest names. It has names. Don't get me wrong. It's got Greg Kinnear in it. It's got Mark Hamill in it. Yeah. Low Hank, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's got. Uh, yeah. Matt Walsh in it. It's got people that people know. I mean, Mark Hamill's one of the most famous actors in the world, but I'm just saying it's got people in it that people know, but none of them are that big. Like it's Kyle Mooney is the big character in this movie, you know, and you might recognize him as like, oh, that's the weird long haired guy from Saturday Night Live, you know, but it's like Justin said, this movie is dialogue. It's acting. It's. Like, that's what draws you into this movie. It's got a great fucking story. It's got a great message. It's got great acting. It's got great pacing. It's got great timing with things. It's got it's got good jokes in it. It's got good sentimental aspects to it. Good dialogue. I don't know if I said that, but if I did, well, fuck it. I'm saying it twice. You know, it's got all these elements to it, though, that just make it stand out, I think, above a lot of things that you would typically get. Especially from something that you would get from a like a Saturday Night Live cast member. And this has a lot of Saturday yeah. Night Live cast members. The other detective with Greg Kinnear, he's a Saturday Night Live guy at uh, Andy Samberg, uh, who produced this movie and stars in it. Just just, you know, a small, small role. Saturday Night Live guy. Um, the other two guys from Lonely Islands who were writers on Saturday Night Live produced this movie, too. You know, uh, the director of this, who Heather informed us before we started recording, is Emma Stone's fiance. Uh, he's a director also on Saturday Night Live. He just directed a few episodes of Saturday Night Live and stuff. So it's like this isn't your typical Saturday Night Live alum movie. Yeah, that's the crazy part. Like, it's so profound, you know? Yeah. You know, and then like Matt Walsh, he wasn't Saturday Night Live, but he was uh, the Upright Citizens Brigade, you know, UCB. Mm. So, yeah, it's just one of those things that it's it's got all these very comedic leaning things. And, you know, like when you get a Saturday Night Live person movie, it's typically just, you know, comedy, 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 comedy. And this is comedy and heart and drama and pain and happiness and all these emotions. And I think all of them are balanced so well in this to where, like I said, my biggest gripe it's just that I didn't get a few more scenes of the family after they came together before the end of the movie. Yeah. Same. That's my biggest gripe. It's, it's a very well-rounded movie for sure. 
Um, you guys got any more thoughts on this? No. No, we're good. Well, I'm slightly sorry for going so long at the beginning about HBO and Christopher Nolan. Um, but then at the same time, I'm not. Like I said, I thought we got some good stuff out of that. Uh, but on that note, thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Simulators Podcast. Check us out at www.simulators.com or on Facebook at Simulators Podcast or Twitter and Instagram where we're your cinema underscore slayers. Uh, please give us a five star review. Uh, that really helps us out on your preferred podcast listening platform. Um, if I find out you've listened to a lot of these episodes and you haven't done that, I might end up doing something like I did to Kurt when I said, fuck you, Kurt, on so many episodes. But I'm not doing that that anymore because Kurt did leave us a five-star review. So I'm no longer saying, fuck you, Kurt, on every episode. Because that just would be mean to keep saying, fuck you, Kurt, on all these episodes. But I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> so just do that. That'd be great for us. Also, t- just tell your friends. Even if you, if you don't want to leave a five short, yeah, tell your friends, go, hey, I listen to this podcast. That Sterling guy is sometimes an asshole, but you should listen to it anyway. Tell them that. It's fine. Especially if they know me, they'll go, yeah, that Sterling guy is an asshole. <laughs> Google And then us. they still might enjoy that because they might be like, well, Heather and J- Jastin balance them out. Who knows? But yeah, just tell people. Maybe they'll like us too. Um, and also just Google us. Google Cinema Slayers. That's fun just because it pops up and it's really cool. So just do that too. That's awesome. Uh, other than that, guys, uh, remember, according to Justin, Moon Knight is a best picture winner. Cinnamon rolls, rock and roll, rolling down the street. Fox, do a barrel roll. Big wheel, keep on turning, turning. Proud Mary, keep on burning. And we're rolling, 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 rolling on the river. Action rolling into an arrow from Link. You forgot the best of them all. Ah. Ooh.